Good morning. Before I have you stand with your Bibles open, I wanted to mention uh, Calvary Chapel South wants to educate you, to equip you, to encourage you, to understand and address the issues that we're facing in our nation as citizens of the United States of America and Christian citizens. So we're going to begin, we've been praying and actually meeting for a while now just to, Lord, how would you have us to proceed? We felt the, the most basic thing we need is to be voting. And so maybe you don't know, maybe you don't vote, you don't, there's, you haven't been voting. One in three, one out of three Christians do not vote, and that is huge. So we want to encourage you in those things. It's not complicated. It's not overwhelming. We're not going to have that. It's just a matter of starting somewhere. So we at Calvary Chapel South are committed to helping you do that. There are a ton of resources. There are a ton of websites. There are lots of places you can go to find that information. One of the places we're going to start this morning, Barbara Clevin brought these yesterday, and there are two cards that are different, but the same ministry. It's called My Faith Votes, and in this is, is a nonpartisan movement that motivates, equips, and activates Christians in America to vote in every election, transforming our communities and bringing the influence of our faith into the public square. So three things, pray unceasingly for our nation, think biblically about issues, and vote consistent, consistently in every election. So... Uh, this is biblical, not political. So what we want to do is just help you, and, my, and myself included, to understand the issues and vote accordingly to, to really turn the tide of what we're seeing so rampant and so quickly overwhelming as far as what's going on in our nation. So six weeks until the primary ballots will be mailed out, 156 days to November 8th, the election, the midterm election. So I would like you, if you would please, on the way out, at the collection desk, there are two cards. They're different. If you pick those up, it's a place to start if that would be helpful for you. Can you just uh, amen that for me? Okay. Let's go for it for the Lord. Let's see what God can do through our prayers, through our involvement, and then through what we're doing. So if you would open your Bibles or your devices to Hebrews chapter 2, actually, verse 17, would you stand as I read this, and then we'll do a... Uh, Responsive reading from Psalm 89, and then we'll, we'll get into the word this morning. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted... He is able to help or aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has more, been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. And every house, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm to the end. Hope in him who is faithful. In Psalm uh, 89, just the first eight verses, talks about the faithfulness of God. 
So I will sing. I'll sing. I could sing it, I guess, but I will sing. I will say something. First one, odd ones, you do the second and even ones through these eight verses. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. And the heavens will praise your wonders. O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. So, Lord, we are thankful for your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And we love you, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name as we hear and take in your word the things I prepare. Break them fresh, Lord, and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. That we can hope in, our hope is in you. You are faithful and you are merciful. You are gracious and kind, gentle. And we, we just, Lord, want to bask in these truths that are our, what we put our faith in, and not just blindly, but knowingly. We love you. I pray your blessing on this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, coming out of verses 17 to 18, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So the book, as we've talked about, the book is written to believers, the Hebrew believers. Set apart, separated, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, companions of this heavenly calling. Therefore, he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider Christ Jesus. Now, this word consider is not casual. Yeah. <laughs> but he's saying give careful attention and thought to these things and really, more specifically, give careful attention and thought to Jesus. Can you say amen to that one? In fact, Hebrews is leading up to chapter 12. Therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus. All the chapters are leading up to that whole thing. Run that race, how? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. So in the Greek, this word describes someone who is studying the stars, gazing up and just contemplating them giving attention to them, giving all his thoughts to those things. Now, to obtain an increasing knowledge of some mystery built into God's creation, but also some diploma or trophy of worldly success. People give their full attention. They give their whole lifetime to persistent sacrifice to learn or to know or to obtain. And what Paul said to the Corinthians is, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So the first question right out of the gates, should not my devotion, should not your devotion be at least equal to theirs in, in wanting to know him, the only true God? To give ourselves our attention carefully, thoughtfully, 
to building into our lives those things of his word by his spirit and fellowship together where we can know him in a deeper and deeper way. In fact, Paul prayed for the Ephesians exactly that, that you might know him, the depth and width and height and length of the love of God. Should we not be doing that? Absolutely, no question. So he's saying, consider Jesus all his transcendent glory and majesty, which is what we've been looking at, just beginning to look at in the first two chapters of Hebrews. He is greater than the angels and so forth. In Hebrews 7, 4, it says, now consider, again, the same word, how great this man was. Talking to Melchizedek, who actually is, is pointing to Jesus, our great high priest. Here's one for you, Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself. Think carefully on that. Give attention to that. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We've got to look to Jesus. In all these matters. So the apostle, apostle of our confession means one sent with a message. Now, Moses was that messenger, but now Jesus is the message. High priest of our confession have a twofold calling as mediators, of which Aaron was the first. They represent God. He represents God before the people. And he represents the people before God. That's the high priest. That's who Jesus is now for us. Of our confession, which is Christ Jesus. That word confession means to say the same thing. It means to agree, but not just agree, but agree clearly and agree courageously. That's what the word has built in in the Greek language. So this confession is say the same thing, but clearly and courageously. In other words, unashamedly. In fact, you might translate it, boast proudly. Now, we, we always hear pride's not good and boasting's not good. Hey, we're boasting proudly in the man, Christ Jesus. And so our confession, our clear and courageous confession, our clear and courageous agreement is that Jesus is who he is and there is none like him in all the earth. So, verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. They were both faithful, but, the, but a faithfulness of very different origins and outcomes. Moses was temporarily, 120 years he had on earth, 40 of those in leading God's people. He was faithful in all his house. But this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Moses was one member of the house. Now, howbeit, he was a very prominent member of God's house. Inasmuch as he who built the house is more than the house. So Jesus supersedes all those by far. But Moses was a prominent member, a prominent part of God's house. But Jesus built the house. It should be, he should be counting worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, one of the issues that Hebrews is, one of the writers writing to Hebrew Christians who are in danger of going back under Moses, to go back to the law. And so the whole idea is the problem was in not accepting the one worthy of more glory than Moses, those who did not believe. The problem was not acknowledging the house that God was building. And that was what sort of disturbed the Jews when that house that God's building includes not just Jews. 
And so it's right that they should honor Moses, but Jesus much more. So every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. In other words, the existence of a house argues for a builder of that house. In other words, houses do not build themselves. Can you say amen? I can testify to that. I have built many houses, two for my family. They were new from the ground up. One took nine months, one took 18 months. I have also remodeled several other houses and buildings. My body is constantly testifying to the fact that houses do not build themselves. So this whole thing illustrates what the writer might be, would be writing where he's speaking of a physical building. There would be none of these remodeled houses or new houses were it not for me. And not only me, but the many, many others who built alongside me, at some at a price and some as a gift. And I know you know this, but just trying to illustrate what he's saying here. There would be no me if there is no God. God made me. And so, because there is a God who built all things, created all things, and because there is a God who knit me together in my mother's womb, and because there is a God who gave me a handyman dad to observe, and because there is a God who is directing my path, unknown to me at the time, from New York to Utah, where I learned to build houses, and then from Utah to Southern California, where I continued to learn and build houses, and then to the Pacific Northwest, to build and remodel houses, and yes, three buildings for Calvary Chapel South. I have some pictures of what it used to look like here, just for fun. That is now the youth room. That is now where we're sitting here. That is what it used to look like out front. That is where our youth worship room is. And that would have been right there in this beam. I was, we're moving into our newly remodeled house, and so I have, we have boxes that I haven't opened for a long time. And I opened up and I found this, this uh, little, what do you call it? Thumb drive. Had all these pictures. I'm going, wow, how do we ever do that? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of us did do it. In other words, this building is a testimony that there's somebody building. Somebody changed it. Somebody did these things. And because there is a God, all these things happened in my life according to God's infinite plans and purposes. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in my eyes. That's God in his working, in his building, not just my life, but yours as well. He is moving you along that you can begin to understand that God built 
all things, that God created you and that God has a purpose and a plan to build your life in glory to him from day one to day none or day last. Now, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you look back, and when we arrive in heaven, when we arrive before the Lord, we're going to look back. Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. Yeah, there's been a lot of trouble, a lot of pain, a lot of agonies. But God is faithful. And God is good. And he is working your life. A plan. I had no idea I'd be in Salt Lake City building houses. No idea at all. But all the way my Savior has led me. Paul said, he who called me from my mother's womb. And Paul looked back to his life and he realized God created him. And God moved along. And God wants to bring us more and more into that place where we realize it's God who builds all things. So if the writer were talking about physical buildings, but he's not. He's talking about the spiritual building. His own house. What is that? It's God in covenant relationship with his people. Very simply. The house we're talking about is God in covenant relationship with his people. There was an old covenant, we're going to learn in Hebrews, that fade and, and out of commission. And there's a new covenant, a better covenant, established through Jesus Christ. And it's his own house. That's what we're talking about. And let me say, when God does the building, it's something you realize only he can do. God's people in covenant relationship with him. That's the house we're talking about. It's people. It's the redeemed. It's those who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's his house. We are his house. So this whole relationship was pictured in physical buildings. The first one being the tabernacle. And God said, as we studied the Exodus, I will take you as my people. I will be your God, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God said, you are to be a kingdom, a holy nation. You are to be you're the whole of the of the community of Israel were gathered around the tabernacle, God's central to everything he did, then God's provision for them to have relationship with him through the sacrifice and the priesthood. And they were to be then this message to the world of what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. The tabernacle. Then it went to the temple, a building in which God, again, his desire, the reason it was there, was not to be marveling over some building. That's why the tabernacle was just a tent. 
nothing fancy. Then came the, t- the, the temple. 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Kings chapter 8. In 2 Samuel 7, King David had it in his heart to build a house for God. He said a house of cedar, a temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon built the temple. This, these two, and you got to read them. They're, I mean, I have them here, but I don't, I'm not going to put them up. you got to read these chapters. They're amazing, and they go right in with what we're talking about. The house, what house are we talking about? Well, David said, I want to build a house for God. I've got a nice house. I want God to have a nice house. And so in that whole story, these are summed up in Acts chapter 7 that we just studied this past Wednesday night. Stephen's sermon that got him killed. <laughs> I like what Lowell said. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he got killed for it. So I said, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Anyway. <laughs> Acts chapter 7. David found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. So they built this, David desired it. Now, the interesting, in the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, David, King David. It says, and he given him rest from all of his enemies all around. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. And then Nathan said, King, do all that's on your heart. And then God said, Hold on a second, Nathan. Uh, that's not going to happen. You got to go and tell David. And it's interesting how God addresses with Nathan, talks to David about this desire in his heart to build him a temple. Nothing wrong with that desire. But at night, as, as the word came to the Lord, to Nathan, Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children up out of Egypt, even to this day, talking to David. But you have but I've moved around in a tent in the tabernacle. In other words, God doesn't need the temple. God wants to dwell among his people, and the tabernacle is that place that he's doing, just a tent, temporary. Whenever I move with all, all children, have I ever, God's saying through Nathan to David, have I, ever, have I ever spoken a word to anyone about I need a temple? Would I ever say, why have you not built me a temple yet? Now therefore, say to my servant David, I took you from the sheepfold, from following sheep to be ruler of my people. And he just starts to, to lay out what he did for David. And he says, since that time, the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people, and I've caused you to be rest from all your enemies. So he says, this is what I've done for you, David. Because you're a man after my own heart. Did all these things. But then he says this to Nathan, to David. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Now, I've done all these things, but also, listen, David, God's not done yet. God's going to build you a house. This is the Davidic covenant. He says in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. It's prophetic of Jesus Christ from this, of the seed of David, of the line of David, when he was born to Mary. The angel said that. It, this is who he's talking about. That David's throne will be, Jesus will sit on a throne as the promised king of kings, Lord of lords, and Messiah. He's promised it. It's called the Davidic covenant. So God said, I never asked for a house. I never asked for a temple, a building. So on your heart, it was good as on your heart. But let me tell you, David, what I've done for you. And let me tell you what I'm yet to do for you. And I think the Lord would say the same thing to you and me. All my life you've been faithful. All my life been so, so good. Great is your faithfulness. But God is not done yet. There's more in store. Ultimately culminating in the kingdom of God itself. And Jesus sitting on the throne. And we there as his servants in the kingdom age. When Solomon completed the building of the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8. Now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. You say, this temple is... He just has the right perspective. And so we need the same perspective. God is way outside of temple and building and any of these things. God's covenant with David through Solomon and then down through the ages until Jesus, this promise to us, heirs of the promise, how? By faith in Christ. That's God's building. Moses is just one of many in the plans of God to build his own house, a spiritual house, a God in covenant relation with his people. David and Solomon were two more notables. And there were many, many others, and we'll meet some of them in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, by faith, all of them were servants in the house. Jesus is son over the house. What a different perspective that is. Eyes off the servants and onto the son. Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which he spoken afterward. But Christ as son over his own house, whose house we are, the church. His house, the house, every house, his own house, whose house we are, the writer who is speaking of God's people in covenant relationship with him, is called the church. It includes all people, both Jew and Gentile, who were all sinners, saved by grace through faith. God's building includes both Jew and Gentile. In Romans chapter 3, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. This is his house. 
Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, God's building includes all people who will come to him by faith and receive through Jesus Christ forgiveness of sin, cleansing, filling of the Holy Spirit, new life in Christ, and be a part of his family, the brethren. That's God's house. And Jesus is our confidence. Jesus is rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. We're the church. First Timothy chapter 3. Paul said, if I'm delayed, I write to you so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of truth. It's church. Thus. First Corinthians 3.9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Ephesians, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are his building. His own building. First Peter, coming to him as a to living as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This confidence of our confession is Christ Jesus. It's God's appointed messenger, mediator, and leader. The captain of our salvation. Merciful and faithful high priest. This word confidence is significant for Christians. It relates to a boldness. It relates to this freedom through the priestly activity of our high priest, Jesus Christ. We are his house. Confidence means courage. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly, confidently to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We'll be getting to these. Hebrews chapter 10, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, God's house. Hebrews 10, 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. The confidence of our confession, it goes without saying, this is not self-confidence. It's confidence in another. Hebrews was written to counter the very real temptation to return to Judaism, to return to the law, to return to its rituals and all those things that were supposedly necessary if you're going to be in covenant relationship with God. He says, hold fast, because there are also threats 
from those who hated Christians, who hated Christ, Jews, thought it blasphemy. Therefore, in all things, chapter 2, he had to be like his brother that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. In his house. His own house is the, is the place of his priestly blessings. Thus, we'll be learning about those. His own house is the people, us, who are beneficiaries of his blessings. Beneficiaries of his mercy. Beneficiaries of his faithfulness. In, a, in having a covenant relationship with him that grows. It's being built. Christ, as Son always says there, the rejoicing in the superiority of the person of Jesus Christ. What is our hope? What is our rejoicing? It's in another. Seven times the word hope is found in the book of Hebrews. I'd like to read those through with you on the screen. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope, there it is again, until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through, here it is again, faith and patience inherit the promises. Our faith exercise is a faith that's diligent to stay at it. To minister for God. To minister in his house. Hebrews 6.17. Thus God determining. This is fantastic. We'll get to these again. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by an oath. What? The promise. He confirmed the promise by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation of fled for refuge to lay hold of what? The hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence of the unveiled. So the writer of Hebrews is going to be getting more and more in this whole idea. We've got to put our hope, our assurance, our confidence, our courage in another. That is Jesus. These anchor where God's promises will not change. Immutability of his promises. Not only did God promise it, but just so we knew and were assured of this and can live in that hope of assurance, in that hope of an anchor, God swore he'd do it. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, God will keep his promises and God does not lie. Bank on it. That's our hope. Hebrews 7.19, the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. See, all these are for a house of God, us, his people, these beneficiaries of his high priestly ministry to us. There's a better hope we can draw near to God. If we hold fast our confession. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope Without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. 
unwavering hope because God is faithful. And then Hebrews 11 turns the corner. A whole chapter. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our hope is in what we do not see, what we do not yet see. But before that final hope, you have all these other ones, the assurance of hope, the anchor of our hearts, the better hope that we have, this unwavering hope is in, because our faith is in another. That's Jesus. He who built his own house is building his own house. That's us, his people, in covenant relationship with him. The rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So these few verses that we've looked at are highlighting that first, the faithfulness of Jesus. The mercy part is coming. But this faithfulness, Proverbs 26 says this, most men proclaim, their, proclaim each his goodness, but who can find a faithful man? We found him. His name is Jesus. We, Jesus, in his, in his earthly ministry with his disciples, Jesus was faithful. In everything he said, in everything he did, in word and deed, from beginning to end, was without sin. He is faithful. Jesus was faithful. He always did those things that pleased the Father. Jesus was faithful. He preached the kingdom of God. He was faithful. He had compassion on the lost and the lonely and the least. Jesus was faithful. He called sinners to repentance. He was faithful. He healed all kinds of sicknesses of people. In fact, he told the centurion, hey, go, your son's healed. He was faithful. He healed his son. He didn't have to go. All over the place. He made his disciples fishers of men, just like he said he would. He loved his disciples, even his betrayer, to the end. He kept his disciples to the end. He was faithful in everything he did. At the cross, Jesus was faithful. He laid down his life for you and me. He gave his life a ransom for you and me. He finished the work for you and for me. He's faithful. In his resurrection, he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. He was faithful. He rose again the third day. He went before the disciples into Galilee, just like he said he would after rising from the dead. He's faithful. Faithful on earth, faithful in death, faithful in rising from the dead. And then the Holy Spirit, Jesus was faithful. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit, which means he's in heaven. And Jesus faithful, he will confess before his Father those who confess him before men. He will never cast out anyone who comes to him. He will give life to those who come to him. He will give light to all who come to him. He will give peace to all who come to him. He will give rest to all who come to him. He is faithful. Have you found that to be true? You see, it's not faith in, in me or in, it's faith in another. And so is the church. Jesus faithful. He will build his church. He told Peter that. He will love his bride. He will manifest himself to all those who love him. 
He will hear and answer our prayers. He will, he will be involved in our worship. He's faithful. He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. Do you believe? Is your faith in another this morning? It's hope in him who's faithful, not myself. As far as the future goes, will he be faithful? You bet he will. He will be faithful. He will come again and receive us to himself, that where he is there, we will be also. He is faithful. He will raise every believer from the grave on that last day. He will turn our mourning into joy. He will wipe away every tear. He will shepherd us next to living waters. He will reward those who have been good and faithful. Listen, he is faithful. He will give us a kingdom. So hope in him who is faithful, my dear brother, my dear sister this morning. That's what the Lord would say to us. He is faithful. He said to his children of Israel, I didn't choose you because you were so good and so wonderful. I didn't set my love on you because of any of that. In fact, you were the least of all of them. But what I did is I set my love on you because I'm faithful. And God who is faithful. In Isaiah, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. If you don't mind if I hover here a little bit in closing. To take in, he is faithful. We are his people. We are his house. And what he began, he will complete. Lamentations, Though the, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my por portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. I look at Moses, David, Solomon, all those, they had a lot of problems. And yet God was using them in this magnificent, marvelous, mysterious, miraculous thing he's doing in building his church. God's people in covenant relationship with him is because of him. He who built all things is God. And he's doing that. Philippians, I thank my God upon every reminder of you. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the anchor. That's our hope. Hope in him who is faithful. Would you stand? The worship team can come out. Lord, we just want to stand before you and worship you and give you the glory, the more glory than anyone else has ever be receiving. To you be the glory, great things you are doing. We bow before you, Lord, and we come before you into your, pre into your presence with thanksgiving, your gates, courts. It's you, Lord, here with us. It's you, Lord, living and dwelling in us. 
And we're asking even now as we lift our voices to worship you that you'd receive in this, your house, us, your house. As best we can, expressing to you how wonderful, how marvelous you are.